For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Seven oh six. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, we'll talk to Carmelo Marsala of SprayNet. Absolutely. And uh, that is on the way. Um, we'll also get to some marketing notes. But first, as usual, some of our entrepreneurial news items of the week. And I want to begin with uh, yet another product from Uber. And this one's pretty interesting because it actually helps young entrepreneurs. I, I like this idea. Dan, this afternoon, and I'm sure I was one of millions of people that got this. This afternoon, uh, from I got an email from Uber called Uber Pitch. Now, Uber Pitch, what are they doing? They are asking their Uber customers that have startup ideas that if they wanted to submit their idea in writing on their Uber platform, and if they get selected, they will have a 15-minute free Uber car ride with an investor in that car. So they'll be able to pitch to an investor, I guess of Uber's choosing, for 15 minutes. They'll pick you up and drop you off at the same location that you that you register at. And I and Uber is doing this free of charge. So wow. okay, or maybe not free of charge. I'm sure somebody they're getting money out of it somehow, uh, and maybe in future income or shares of a company. Who knows what? But a absolutely brilliant way to expand yet again the uh, kind of the startup market and putting people together. Kind of the speed dating in the car, if you will. Hopefully they don't speed, but speed dating in the car. That's brilliant. So if an executive or an investor has just a few minutes uh, in his uh, his or her day and wants to call an Uber, and there you have it. Wow. Absolutely brilliant. Hmm. All right. Could make many a uh, many millionaire. Uh, a banner year for securing investments here in Montreal. This is uh, kind of surprising. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when we had uh, Helge Sietzen of Tandem launch on a few weeks ago, we were talking about how the Canadian market is really far behind the U.S. market in its ability to pitch and its ability to... Uh, you know, to, to really know exactly what the investor is looking for. They're doing okay. This article is saying actually Canada has gotten much better and has actually been able to attract many, many more millions of dollars in this marketplace. Uh, and, and I think it, it's definitely true. Listen, as we're not as mature as the U.S. market when it comes to this, but we certainly uh, have developed a a lot of experience in the last few years. I think what's also helped is the dollar. There's no doubt that, you know, for a U.S. investor, U.S. venture capitalist or private equity firm or angel investor, when they're looking at, at, at valuations, and I know they're still looking at Canadian uh, Canadian companies and Canadian revenues, but still when they're looking at the, the cost of, of a startup company and they're getting a discount of 30% just because of the exchange rate, I have no doubt that that is an attractive level too. Combine that with with the education that Canadian startups are getting from their U.S. counterparts, parts from their U.S. from their worldwide counterparts, and it's it's a good formula. Are we still far behind the U.S. as it comes to learning what to say and who to approach and how to speak? Yes, I absolutely believe we are. But are we getting better? No doubt about it. And if the U.S. dollar continues as it is, good for some, not good for others, but in this case, probably good for, for some startup companies that are that are searching for dough. And you, uh, speaking of startups searching for dough, and you, uh, I guess, Uber-like app uh, reminds me of Montreal-based BusBud. This one is called Share the Bus. 
this is another, I don't think it's, it's not necessarily a ride sharing program, but it's certainly, and it might cater maybe to the, to more of the youth, but not necessarily. This is actually a, an interesting business. And there was a gap in the marketplace where somebody, somebody said, you know what, there, there is a, a downtime for these coach buses, these school buses, and there's definitely places to go. So why can't we rent one? Why can't we get a discounted rate? Somebody has to take the responsibility. They share the bus. Somebody has to take the responsibility of hiring the entire bus and having the app out there and people log on and say, yes, I want to go there. I want to go here. I want to go there. But then they'll take it a step further because not all bus routes offer what exactly the, the, the I guess, the, the passenger wants. You know, if they're going to say, okay, we're going to go see the Grateful Dead in Toronto, well then, you know, maybe they can get a whole bunch of people together, pass through Ottawa, head to Toronto, have Grateful Dead music playing, uh, you know, cater to the to the passengers more than that. Uh, I think it's just another aspect that that there's a gap in the marketplace. Somebody found it, somebody's exploiting it, and uh, and I think it's a, it's it's a great original idea. This is a pretty neat idea. A Vancouver company is looking to uh to sort of modify the way that people are doing so-called robo-investing. Can you tell us first what, what, what's meant by robo-investing? Is this like high-frequency trading, so where the computers sort of determine what you should invest in and where? Well, to a degree it is, Dan. I mean, robo-investing, it's, it's kind of a, a preset parameter list of questions you add, uh, sorry, you answer, uh, and they kind of design a portfolio that would suit you, mm-hmm. a portfolio that would be more these uh, exchange-traded funds, these ETFs that a lot of people hear about because they're very low cost. They get you direct access to the marketplace, unlike mutual funds that are more expensive and it's really a blend of a whole bunch of areas and you don't own the stock directly. So these ETF uh, exchange-traded funds are becoming, because they've come into existence in the last few years, it's been easier for these platforms to create uh, I guess, uh, an option for people to invest. And not only that, but people to invest, if you only have maybe a few thousand dollars versus, you know, waiting till until you have hundreds of thousands of dollars, you can actually go see an investor and get their, their, their point of view. Here you have a few thousand dollars. It's because it's a platform, it's electronic, it's online, it's developed, it's preset. Is it perfect? No. But for somebody with a few thousand dollars that doesn't want to spend a lot of money in costs of, of, of an investment, an investment advisor, and cost of a mutual fund, uh, it's an excellent, excellent opportunity. I think BMO came out with one uh, fairly recently, a couple of months ago, uh, as as maybe one of the first big banks to to come out with this. And uh, and I, I think it's uh, it's it's easy. I want to say it's easy money, but it kind of is. It's easy money for the banks to attract the low level investor with low level cost. So this is from the Financial Post. Uh, the CEO of Modern Advisor says his company plans to make itself distinct by being the only robo-advisor to emphasize responsible investing. And and you hear this a lot. And certainly if they're if they're attacking, if they're attacking the, the youth of the market, the, the millennials, the next gen, if they're going there, there's no question that, that those generations are looking on the responsibility side, are on the social responsibility side. They're looking for uh, companies that are going to give back. And I believe in this, uh, in this article, it's also saying, uh, you know, if you can find the niche, if you can prove that you're giving back, people will actually be attracted to you as well. So there, there's, there's two sides to that. And I think the social responsibility of investing is, uh, is quite interesting. And while it might not always appeal to, uh, the baby boomers, uh, although to some, 
it absolutely seems to appeal to millennials, Generation X, Y, etc. Now, branding, sometimes everything is in name. And in this case, uh, we read about uh, in the Financial Post as well, uh, the Life is Good Company. And when you have a name like that, uh, a lot of expectations. And this is a perfect example of that social responsibility company, a socially responsible company that is giving back part of their profits. I mean, there's a number of companies out there that advertise how much, you know, what they give back to the community. Ten Tree uh, is one of them. They make T-shirts as well. And they for every T-shirt you get by, they plant Ten Trees, so they call it Ten Tree. This Life is Good company is basically working on that model. I won't say one copy of the other because there's a number of companies out there. But they basically in different regions are giving back to the community. And they are saying, buy from us and we give back to the community. So every time, every dollar that comes into you, you're helping out a child here or an environment there. And uh, and it's a reason to buy from that company that is beyond the product itself. Real quick from entrepreneur.com, uh, I don't agree with any of these points, but Greg Schwartz, <laughs> who writes about Donald Trump, says, five marketing lessons learned by watching Donald Trump run for president. Uh, real quick, know your audience, know your brand, be audacious, trust yourself, and no apologies. And you know, Dan, they they are all important to some people somewhere. <laughs> uh, I would say know your audience is probably uh, probably at the top of the list with, with many things. The rest of it, certainly has uh, an application here or there, but know your audience. You always have to know your audience. No apologies. Not so sure that uh, that's that should be the case with Donald Trump all the time. I think he owes a few people with some apologies. But. And, uh, and I think your, you know, your online reputation, you know, sometimes you might have to apologize. Anyhow. Coming up, Carmelo Masala of SprayNet, our, our profile this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.20 on Today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we're chatting with Carmelo Marsala of SprayNet. Carmelo, welcome to CJD. Thank you. So, easiest question off the top, uh, tell us about yourself and uh, and what SprayNet uh, does. So, we pride ourselves on saying that SprayNet is the most cost-effective way to increase a home's curb appeal. So, essentially what we do is we change the color of a home. Contrary to conventional exterior painting, we offer a permanent exterior paint solution uh, that's guaranteed 15 years, doesn't look repainted, and is done in one day. Now, how in the world did you get into this business? So I was a student painting franchisee. Uh, often people would ask me to paint certain things. And I would, uh, you know, towards my second or third year of student painting, I would, I would, I would hesitate because I didn't want to, quote unquote, ruin that surface because I knew it would blister peel eventually. And it, and it essentially looked repainted. So, for example, a front door, even though I did them all myself and I took the time to do it properly, still always looked repainted. So uh, I was looking at doors that are brand new and I said, well, why can't we just do it the way that that's? Done. That's been painted. I mean, metal's not black, right? So then that's when we looked into the factory and we said, okay, how are they doing it in the factory? And then how can we bring that on site? So this is, you were, you were a franchisee, you were a student painter, and the thought process was, I want to go out on my own because you weren't happy with the paints that were provided at the time? Not even necessarily. <laughs> at first, once I was done college, bro, I was going to be a stockbroker. Uh, but I had sent out a couple flyers, you know, talking about how we were going to spray homes. Uh, and then a couple people called me back. Luckily, I should thank them, actually. I should call them <laughs> and thank them. But uh, And then we said, well, th this is actually a need. People, If people know about this, they'll want to get it done. Uh, and, and that's really how, how, how it happened. So I guess we got the idea from seeing the need through painting people's homes. And then we figured out how to do it throughout the years. 
what do you know about mixing paint and chemicals? <laughs> now everything. <laughs> well, but, at, but at the time, I mean, did you, did you have to start from scratch? Did you learn from some, like, why, why learn that? Yeah, well, I like to correct myself. I don't know everything. We never know everything. We're always learning new things. But uh, no, I mean, at the time, essentially what I was just looking for was a better finish. So at first I was like, well, what if we spray on this, these same products? Well, they'll look a lot better. Problem is if you spray on the same products, you still get the same properties just with a better finish. <laughs> so then what we did is we went to the factories and we said, well, how can we bring these on site? Problem was they were solvent based, toxic, can't spray those on site. Mm -hmm. So then that's when we really had to look into the chemistry of things, look, talk to chemists, formulators and said, how can we replicate the properties, but in a water-based formulation that we can apply on site? Was there a trigger point that you stopped being the, the student painter, the franchisee, and said, okay, now I'm going to go to the dark side, go to the next level? <laughs> well, how student painting works is, is it's it's a one summer contract. So it's not like it's it's renewable or not should you choose to decide to do so. Uh, so once I, was, once I graduated from university, the contract was just not renewable. And that's when I just decided, okay, let, let me do this on my own because I, I kind of declined my job as a stockbroker after receiving those calls. And then, yeah. So if I understand correctly, you're going from franchisee to franchisor. And when we come back from the break, We'll kind of explore and talk to you a little bit about, again, going to the dark side of Franchisor. <laughs> Carmelo Marsala of SprayNet, our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 725 on Today's Entrepreneur, our guest is Carmelo Marsala of SprayNet. Uh, when you were being going through the whole student painting system, um, did you did you get a sense there that wow maybe maybe I should be a, a franchisor maybe that's the way to go? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, I learned a lot, a ton from College Pro from their processes, their training. Uh, so it was first developing the product saying is this actually possible is there a market for it so i did it on my own for three years uh we actually built it to a bit over 35 employees and then we said well you know maybe this is repeatable scalable we know what we're doing at this point let's franchise the business and so in your first three years how long did it take you to actually because you said there's there's certainly there's some r d involved you have to you have to create you have to have the right mix and of course you want to do it on site so right. there's regulations to follow how long did it take before you actually got that formula right? So the formula is never completely finished. We're in continuous development all the time. There's So waterborne technology is fairly new in the industry. Uh, so there's always new resins coming out, new, new ways to blend things. So it, we're always in continuous development. Uh, but you mean getting a formulation that works? I mean, took us at least two years. So initially we were just spraying premium exterior products, but on site just getting a better finish when we realized this is still not good enough. This is not really the factory to the homeowner. It's just a nicer finish on a conventional paint job. You don't have that, that chemical engineering background. You certainly learned some along the way. Do you ever, did you ever feel beholden to the, the chemists and the people mixing that, you know, if you didn't have them, you couldn't go to the next stage or did you make sure you kind of covered your rear end with some additional Yeah, so, so whenever we get any kind of new employee or supplier, I always like to be, you know, quote unquote, not an expert, but know as much as possible so that I know that what they're saying is, is true. <laughs> uh, so before even approaching the formulators, like I was, I was on Google and, and, and taking courses till like three in the morning. Uh, so I, I was able to speak the same language as them because I mean, it's such an important part of our business that you need to know it. You can't just trust that what they're saying is true. And at the same time, they don't necessarily know what you know. So combination of the way that I know you need to apply it with their, with their chemistry is what really creates the proper formulation. 
Now you had you you said you was it difficult to find the factory to begin with, to fi- to find that factory that could work with you and produce or or start your own, of course. So yeah, I, I just started my own. <laughs> uh, did you try finding others first? Did you subcontract? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> that w- it wasn't even it wasn't even part of the equation. <laughs> no, it didn't feel like it. It takes too long. No, I, I'm kidding. But I, I, it's just because I like to do things on my own. I like to really be, you know, con- in control, I guess, if you will, and and, and grasp knowledge for myself. So yeah, we started our own. Now, as a franchisee, you certainly have to follow the rules of the franchisor, mm-hmm. whatever they may have been. You know, they may have consulted with you, they may not have. What are some of the things that you learned as a franchisee that you? started to apply as a franchisor? Well, I learned that I'm a horrible franchisee because uh, <laughs> I like to do things my way. So that's also why, I, you know, I, I knew that I had to do my own thing. Uh, however, what I did learn through franchising and not just through College Pro uh, is, is choosing the right profile to be a franchisee because, again, I'm not a franchisee profile. And at first I was I was looking for someone like me and I quickly realized that's not exactly who, who we need to be looking for in a franchisee. So... So you developed your own criteria of what to look for? Well, Canada the last two years has been a bit of a testing ground, I guess, if you will. We've had a whole array of different profiles of franchisees. Now we're starting to really zero in on who are our top performers and who we need as franchisees going forward. And that's really what we're taking away to go into the U.S. development. And that's probably the most important thing we learned in the last two years. So when you're looking for the next franchisee, or mm-hmm. maybe maybe you can share experience of some of the past franchisees, what what have you looked for? What what has really turned the table? What have they what has pushed them over the edge to say, you know what, I want to work with this person? So there's been an evolution in the type of franchisees that we're 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 getting into the system. So it's kind of like a it's been a three wave process. Initially it was owner operators. I was looking for people with one territory who would be fully involved in their territory and, and potentially buy a second one. Uh, then in year two, uh, as the word spread, we were getting you know business people interested in our model and now uh, winning international competitions, being on Dragons. Then we're getting top top business people. So we're looking at more of the multi unit approach. We have bank VPs on board, CEOs of multi million dollar companies who purchased five territories. So it's a bit of a different profile and, and it's great. And I think I want to explore that further because it's interesting, as you say, going from owner operator to taking the business side of it. But of course, those contests that you enter, and we talk about all the time with entrepreneurs, always interesting to hear about, especially the one on Dragon's Den that we'll explore when we come back after the break. Carmelo Marsala of SprayNet, our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. Also later in the show, we'll chat about marketing, uh, traditional versus online marketing and reputation management. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.34, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, and our guest this evening is Carmelo Marsala of SprayNet. And uh, Carmelo, you started out as a uh, as a painter, and you decided to sort of go in a different direction with your career. Um, you're, you're, I guess you wanted to be in finance. What made you sort of go into the trades? What, what, what did you think that would be a, a better long-term bet? Well, I kind of just fell into it with the student painting. It was kind of just a summer job. And then I realized there was an opportunity there. I mean, everybody out of school wants to be a stockbroker. Nobody wants to be a painter. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I guess more, more, uh, more opportunity definitely where, where not everybody's going. So it just made sense. You made an interesting point before the break saying that 
you you started with franchisees that were owner operators so that they would go out and they would do the the spray painting themselves and all that but then you said you there was a shift to to more the the business people out there more the 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 oper- not the not the doers but like the owners the people that have been in business for a number of years right. can you maybe elaborate a little bit on on what the biggest difference was and and why you veered that way so the biggest difference is just the conversations we have with these with these types of people and it's just it kind of happens organically given our, our rapid growth. Uh, so, I mean, because we're, we're just expanding across Canada, it would just be too many franchisees for us to handle if we had one franchisee for every territory. So, I mean, we can cover Canada with 20 franchisees or with 60 franchisees and we're still covering Canada. So it just made sense for us to work with less franchisees who, who can manage more people. Uh, and it just makes sense for the franchise or and the franchise partner too, because then we can benefit from franchise partners doing multi-million dollars in sales. Do you feel that as, as past business owners or past executives that they, they just get it more and they ask better questions, smarter questions, well, easier to deal with? Yeah, they're not necessarily easier to deal with because they're more demanding, uh, but the conversations are different. They're more like they speak the same language, I guess, if you will. Uh, so we can get places much quicker. Uh, whereas we don't have to kind of get to the basics. It's just like, okay, here's the strategy. This is how we're going to implement it. And, you know, the language is the same, right? We're both speaking the same thing. <laughs> now let's talk contests. You mm-hmm. have entered yourselves in various contexts, contests, including Dragon's Den, which, right. you know, very popular. Everybody loves it, watches it. They, they, I don't know if everybody knows what goes on behind the scenes or afterwards, mm-hmm. but maybe you can recount quickly what, I guess, the, the, the best and, and most challenging part of, of, of being on Dragon's Den? Uh, well, I actually really enjoyed the experience. Uh, I, I find it was a huge adrenaline rush. Actually, they had to stop me a couple of times because I went outside of the yellow circle uh, for TV. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the, the the best part of it was well, g- getting to meet all those people and really getting the exposure on TV. That really, really was a catalyst to our growth. We wouldn't have been able to sell out Canada so quickly had we not been on the show. Did you get a deal? Yeah, we did get a deal. <laughs> we we got a deal. We actually made history on Dragons. Then it was the first time Jim for Living made a deal under twenty percent, uh, and we actually asked for five percent uh, deal. Uh, so that that was definitely uh, that was definitely very validating for us that you know we're doing something right, and even the top business people in the world think we are. So now, did the deal close in the end? No. So what happened is that was filmed a bit of actually yeah over a year ago in March of last year. Uh, and we were heading into our very busy season and there was all of due diligence and we said, you know what, like, let's, let's keep everything on the ice. And they said, yeah, we'd be willing to be reapproached. Uh, but then, I mean, a year after our business completely shifted, completely changed. So, I mean, the deal wasn't the same. They were willing to, to, to change the, the valuation, but at that point we didn't really see the benefit of, of going forward. Now that was a catalyst, but there was another contest, an international contest that you felt right. you wanted to enter. Describe that one. Yeah, that one was actually amazing. Just the experience was was phenomenal because uh, we we were actually uh, we there was about uh, I think a bit over five hundred applicants from across the world. So it's a whole bunch of young franchisors under thirty five years old. Uh, we were named in the top twenty, so we were winners for the top twenty. We we're all flown in from across the world, literally from everywhere across the world, uh, to San Antonio at the IFA Summit, the International Franchise Association Summit, uh, where we pitched in front of three top uh, CEOs from the franchise world who chose the top three. And then the top three pitched in front of all of the IFA. So there was 5,000 people in the audience. We're talking about the CEO of Subway in the audience, like all the top people in the franchise industry. And the and the uh, the audience actually voted for the number one. And, and they voted to SprayNet. They voted us the number one franchise in the world, young franchise in the world. Now, 
with your experience on Dragons and pitching to the Dragons, your experience at, at this international franchise or contest pitching there, mm-hmm. what would you? What advice would you give to the next franchiser? What would you, what would you say to emphasize in your in your pitch? Uh, pitch really just there's no point in really practicing. It's just know your business. I mean, there shouldn't be a question that you can't answer, and if you can't answer the question, well, you shouldn't be winning those types of competitions. Uh, that was the same thing with Dragons. Then there was no question that I wasn't ready to answer, and and that's really just gives you the confidence to be able to go out there and just have fun. Now these contexts are great for marketing purposes. They mm-hmm. certainly get your name out there. Right. Have you done anything else like from from the from the time you first started till now? What's been your marketing strategy that has either worked or maybe something that has completely flopped that you know you can't do again? Uh, you know, you know what? I wouldn't say anything is a complete flop because I think any effort yields some sort of result. Some things yield a higher result than others. But the beauty of our business is that the second people know about it, they want it. It's just the problem is people don't know about it. Uh, so definitely online has been a bit of a challenge because people are not searching for it because they don't know. So it has to do a bit of a long tail strategy for curb appeal and then to exterior painting, nurturing the leads, and then, you know, eventually just educating them so that they can find out of our service and ask for it so online definitely has been the best it has been your best form of educating the consumer uh no educating the consumer has been through these competitions through stuff like this (laughs) uh you know that that kind of stuff definitely reaches the masses and then people talk about it and then they search for you so uh I, i the online stuff has been mainly to convert now you need like any business and startup and today with growth factor you need a strong team around you right uh, tell me your experience, and I don't know how many people are you today at, uh, at SprayNet. So uh, we're we're close to eighty five. Uh, a, a good portion of that, I'd say. 55 of those people are actually working in the field in our corporate territories so the remainder are supporting our franchise system and I actually like that you talk about that because I mean the media and all these interviews and all these prizes are all about the entrepreneur but I mean they all glorify the entrepreneur but I mean that's a specific profile or just one piece of the puzzle Uh, I mean there's a lot of smart people around the entrepreneur we never talk about them so I'm glad to talk about them right now (laughs) here's the opportunity and who who would you Okay, when you're looking for these people, because you still have to select them. It's right. not, I mean, some of them might approach you after getting some notoriety on, right. on air, or whatever, what have you, but you still have to select them. What is your criteria in selecting your key people? So the first criteria literally is what I like to hang out with this person for more than a day. <laughs> if the answer is I can't stand that person after 10 minutes, well, forget it. I'm working with this person probably 80 hours a week. That's not going to fit our culture. Regardless of what they know or where they came from Doesn't or who matter. their contact base is. Doesn't matter. I don't think past performance is an indicator of the future. And I think cultural fit is the number one criteria. And then after that, obviously, experience, skill set, you know, that's definitely the second. But number one, definitely. Do I want to hang out with this person? So you're looking for franchisees that are particularly friendly, that could get along with customers, that kind of thing? Well, of course. For Yeah, if we're talking about franchisees, it's the same selection process, essentially, just a different profile. But when we're talking about the staff, I mean, we're with the, I, I mean, my wife won't like that I say this, but I'm probably with them more than I am with her. So, I mean, I better like them. <laughs> she, she, she knows it's true, but she knows you love her as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you're, how do you, okay, question, hmm. have you ever hired somebody that said you know what maybe i shouldn't have hired that person oh yeah of course it happens all the time and then do you realize quickly do you are you are you you quick to react uh, over time i mean what have you been doing so i i think my biggest default is my inability to react quickly to that kind of stuff because i'm like oh that person will change we can develop this person let's see this as a challenge and then you know time and time again 
you know, you're disappointed. And, and, and if it's one thing, if I have a New Year's resolution for 2016, I gave myself is not to keep doing that because you just prolong it. And it's, it's not a win-win for anybody because that person also doesn't feel good. It's not just the business, but the person within the business, which is uncomfortable. And then it just ends up being sour for all parties. So when you say you, you hire, you, you need to be able to spend a day with them or not. Is it possible to get too friendly with them so you can't hmm. make that right decision afterwards? Uh, yeah, but I mean, look, our fourth value, I guess, is having fun. And I mean, having fun, if you're ha if you're happy, it just makes everybody more productive. And, and, and just, uh, no, I don't think you can have too much fun because I think uh, happiness is the key to success. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a believer you can't have too much fun, yeah. especially if you enjoy what you do. Yeah. So you're, you, you started in, in Montreal, you, you expanded throughout Quebec, you're, you're going across Canada. What's next for SprayNet? So clearly it's the U.S. I mean, it's a no-brainer no for us. Canada's pretty much full. So now we're working on solidifying our team, uh, building our new head office so we can house everybody and then franchise development and support. Now, why the U I guess for the obvious reason is the U.S. And, and do you get help south of the border? Uh, you mean, do we get help from... Well, yeah, it's, it's a different market. I mean, you've, you've gained knowledge in franchising right. overall, right. but it, it is a different market. Do you feel it's everything applies the same or do you feel your experience in Canada has truly prepped you or did you, are you going to search out somebody south of the border that might have a little bit more knowledge in that? Yeah. So, so our, our vice president actually has 37 years of international franchise experience. Uh, at the IFA, I met a ton of top CEOs, uh, one of, one of whom I'm still in touch with, uh, on a weekly basis, just to, you know, maybe in case we didn't think of something. Uh, so yeah, we definitely like to surround ourselves with the right people. If you think you know everything, you have another thing coming. <laughs> no, exactly. And I, and I, it's a great story and we're, we're kind of running out of time, but glad to hear that it's, uh, that you're expanding south of the border that you know certainly people uh, there can uh, can experience all this great added curb, curb appeal to their home Carmelo Marsala of SprayNet will have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way plus Philippe Cousson who does business development at FL uh, will chat to, with us about uh, marketing uh, traditional versus digital that is on the way for professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. Carmelo Mersala with us from SprayNet. We'll have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, we're joined by Philippe Cousson, who's in charge of business development at Fuller Landau and here to talk a bit about marketing. Philippe, welcome to today's entrepreneur. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So Josh, uh, traditional versus digital in the, in the marketing industry, we're still sort of trying to find a, a correct balance and it's kind of in between a lot. Of, I mean, you, you can't ignore either one. You, you know, you listen to pretty much most of our past shows, Dan, and we have, we have focused on online marketing uh, to the nth degree. But the reality is traditional marketing still does have its place. So, you know, we'll turn to Philippe and maybe we'll start our discussion there. You know, are traditional marketing tools still useful in gaining new business? Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, I think telemarketing is still the way to go, especially in the B2C environment, um, uh, which is your case, Carmelo. And uh, I think it's, uh, you, you got to be cautious about, cautious about a few things, especially the uh, regulations. If you look at the CRTC right now, uh, you need to uh, prepare and, and, and act accordingly. Uh, so so there's some guidelines out there. So you need to refer to a, a, a professional at all times. Now, 
traditional marketing that also i mean would include print would include trade shows you know there there must be a place depending on the type of business absolutely i think direct mailing is still is still a very good uh, strategy it still works i think uh, canada post has a great uh, str- program out there so you should definitely look at uh, into that as well uh, email marketing again is also a very good tool um, but you, also you need to be uh, careful with the regulations uh, the uh, new bill C28 uh, came about last year uh, and it's designed to to regulate the best practices uh, for an example uh, Porter got a got fined $150,000 uh, in January 2015 for not uh, applying the uh, the regulations in its uh, in the strategy so now now there's there's no question people are always weighing the bang for the buck you know uh to the traditional marketing you know the trade shows the the mailings and all that they cost whereas the online can cost you can boost your posts and you can do but it, it certainly might cost much less so if we go into the social media aspect well then you know how do you how do you leverage technology in that B2C in that business to consumer environment. Well, um, it, just like in, in Spraynet's case, um, uh, there's there's two sides to technology. There's uh, of course online um, SEO, SEM, uh, social media, but there's also again leveraging technology for for an example using tablets in trade shows for you to um, uh, get some leads and and qualify those leads and maybe send a, an estimate at, at one point uh, for you to to limit the the sales cycle of a potential uh, sale. Uh, also again. Again, online booking applications, especially in the B2C world, I think it's a great tool, um, again, to, to collect uh, qualified contact information, but uh, also, again, using CRM uh, to, to track those data and those leads as well is definitely a, a great tool. And, and, you, and you say CRM, which is, you know, customer relationship management software, because what we find many cases, people are not measuring everything they do they don't me- they can't manage what you can't measure so C- crm the crm software is usually quite important that not everybody really links to right Absolutely, there there's some uh, tools and 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 CRM um, applications out there that are free or or will only cost you a couple of uh, a couple of hundred bucks. So they're 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 great to track tr- your your funnel, your pipeline, uh, potential leads, and also to learn about your 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 uh, competitive landscape and, and what the client is expecting from your product. And I think that's what people don't understand is these CRM, these customer relationship management, don't have to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. They can be, but they can be small as well. Absolutely. Anyway, but then, then there's also the online reputation, which I think when we come back from the break, we'll talk about that. And certainly in business to consumer, you know, the you have people that make their comments online and you have to really manage that if they're not always so positive. So we'll address that when we come back after the break. Philippe Cousson of uh, Fuller Landau plus Carmelo Marsala and his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. We're chatting about business development and uh, traditional versus digital marketing with Philippe Cousson of Fuller Landau plus Carmelo Marsala joining us of Spraynet. We'll have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way, Josh. Now, Carmelo, I know before we wanted to talk a little bit about online reputation. And certainly when you're dealing with consumers uh, in your industry, anybody dealing with consumers, there is an ease for a consumer to write an online review, to reach out to the world without your knowledge that you and 
every other entrepreneur that has to deal with consumers has to manage. How do you handle that? Well, I'd like to start with I've lost my Facebook privileges. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> given my passion and impatience combined together, I'm not allowed to answer certain customers because, I mean, what's sad about that is people are quick to go on if they're not happy with something because they want to get their way. But when they're really happy with something, they're not as quick to do so. So, I mean, you definitely need to address it because part of our, actually part of our franchise growth has been attributed to the fact that our team answers very well uh, the Facebook comments. And sometimes it's not even real customers. So you just, you still have to let people know, hey, we can't find you anywhere. You're not actually a customer of ours. So, you know, please respond to us or call us privately. And they don't, of course. Cause, and hopefully yeah. your good relationships, you try to encourage them to write their, their real positive you reviews. You leverage them, of course. Yeah. So, Philippe, you know, with this online reputation, I'm sure there are some guidelines, some things that entrepreneurs should know about. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first, I think you you need to be aware that uh, negative comments are always going to, they're unavoidable. They're, they're always going to be... <clears throat> Uh, out there available so uh, and 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 produced by competitors or or unhappy clients or or just uh, random people out there but uh, uh, I guess some of the best practices would be to to, to react quickly uh, and to address that criticism uh, and and uh, again in all transparency react and, and be present and and I mean Dan you you deal with this on a daily basis as well what mm. what are the kind of challenges that you see in the, in online reputation management I've been doing this for about five years now, and the, the thing that surprises me the most is that PR used to be something that is just for large corporations or, or major personalities, but even once in a while, I have a small business owner who needs to really diffuse something online. It could be something as, as silly as a Yelp review or a Facebook complaint that went viral, but uh, even small businesses once in a while need to at least dip their toe into the online space to make sure that uh, to make sure the conversations about their brand are actually productive, and, and sometimes they're not. Is there a point where you just have to say stop or it's not worth replacing? Applying to or somebody's just digging in for no reason? For sure. I mean, every complaint is different. Online, there are a lot of anonymous weirdos, people that just want to slam you. Often the competition will do that too. So it, you, have to, you have to sort of uh, look at the global picture. And if most of the conversations happening about your brand are generally positive, then you have the luxury of avoiding uh, you know, not necessarily responding to those nasty uh, trolls, so to speak. But if there are a few of them, then you got to address those issues. No, and uh, as as you guys have all said, you got to react quickly uh, and and positively. And maybe your Facebook rights will come back to you, Carmelo, one day. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so as we approach the last moment of our show, uh, as we do every week, we'll turn to uh, Carmelo Marcella of SprayNet and ask you, Carmelo, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Uh, well, actually, ties into what you just said—a sense of urgency. Uh, do it now, because if you don't do it now, you'll never get it done. And I feel like that's what a lot of people lack. Uh, and I mean, I just want to maybe add something else: surround yourself with the right people. I mean, we didn't talk about them enough because we don't have much time. But really, it's all about the team. It's all a business is, is people, right? So that that would be it. Thank you. And and Dan, the the takeaway I got that again we kind of glossed over pretty quickly was that when Carmelo meets a supplier or engages somebody around him. He does inform himself a little bit. He doesn't become the expert, but he knows enough to know if the person in front of him is really giving him, if he's really shoveling the BS or, or not being so truthful, he can spot it and he can eye. And I think arming himself with that information as an entrepreneur is absolutely huge and very, very beneficial. Thanks, Josh. And thanks to Philippe Cousson uh, talking about business development marketing. We'll have you back on more shows, Philippe, on, uh, on the program. Thank you so much. And Carmelo Marsala of SprayNet. Uh, Carmelo, best of luck. It's a great local success story and, and good luck with your expansion down south. Thanks a lot. Back next Monday night at 7 here on News Talk Radio CJAD 800. The Exchange with Lee's Ravery is next.
For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.